0: Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Swings and Mishes. I'm your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined, as always, by the man, the Mish, the legend, Craig Mish. Craig, how's, how's your week been? my
1: week is going well happy july 4th holiday to everyone out there for sure congrats jeremy on on your new video i saw that you got a new uh, i mean you're adding a lot of stuff all the time it seems like <laughs> over at Bally. so congratulations nice. on that thank you and uh and congratulations to everyone uh, this weekend who's getting ready to celebrate july 4th hopefully you guys do that very safely we've certainly don't want to come back here next week or the week after that and, hear about any issues so be safe out there this weekend but yeah let's get right into it let's get into the marlins
0: yeah please do enjoy your july 4th and and what we're going to do now is actually go back to earlier in the week uh the marlins made a trade uh before the trade deadline about a month before the marlins sent Corey dickerson and adam simber to toronto in exchange for joe panic and Andrew McInvale. We've already seen Panic perform at the big league level for the Marlins, but Craig, what are your thoughts on this deal and what it means for Miami in, in general?
1: Yeah, there, there's a couple of different things here. Uh, first and foremost, I think the most important part of this is that there was just no role for Corey Dickerson moving forward being hurt and also uh, being left-handed which they have a player that they want to see play the rest of the season who is Mm left-handed so they were not going to put Dickerson in right field they were not going to put him in center field at this stage and his defense I I think was okay but it was not of the gold glove caliber that they thought they were acquiring a couple of years ago so simply put they were not going to carry him as a fourth outfielder at this stage Uh, in terms of Uh, of Toronto the Blue Jays believed that he could come off the bench essentially be a left-handed bat they were missing one of those and then they liked what they saw in Adam Simber which I I think is a little bit debatable I I thought that he was good at times for Miami Uh, uh, it was really interesting for me to see and I and I as I watched closely I didn't really want to point this out and, and throw him or or sort of the way he pitches under the bus but it was really amazing to me that no one in baseball was picking up on the fact that his first pitch always was in and at the legs Mm -hmm. of the opposing batter. His first pitch always Mm -hmm. was that, but I guess that was the technique that he had going in. And remember at the beginning of the season, he started to hit some guys there. So I'm wondering if he's going to continue that with Toronto, but he always liked to make the batter feel uncomfortable from the right side. So that's kind of why you always saw that. We'll see if, if that method continues in Toronto, but I, I thought he was okay uh, you know, he was painted as sort of being this Brad Ziegler. I did not think so. I thought no. Ziegler was much better. But I wish Simber well, and certainly he said all the right things on on the way out. And so did Corey Dickerson, for that matter. Even though his contract was a complete bust, mm. uh, with uh, a complete bust of a signing as well for the Marlins, two years, eighteen million, whatever it was, uh, it was it was a poor signing and a poor choice, unfortunately, for Miami. Uh, so uh, you know, in return, Miami gets Joe Panic. Why did they get him? They were running birdie out there every single day. It was too much. They needed to kind of mix and match him with Joe Panic a little bit. Birdie is clearly much better as a guy who plays two or three days a week, as opposed to somebody who plays six. I think they've come to that realization and and we all have too. So, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just birdie is not a everyday big league starter. And at this stage, I'm not sure that Joe Panic is, but the thing is, is that we were running into a lot of games, as you saw with the Marlins, Jeremy, that they were getting into the eighth inning and Sandy Leone was the main guy off yep. the bench. You cannot have that. You cannot have it be Devers. You cannot have it be uh, Magnera Sierra. You cannot have it be Luis Marte. And I know all of this is all like shocking to hear all these names. Those were their top bench guys while Cooper was out mm-hmm. off the bench. So this does enhance that significantly, and it does one of two things. It makes when Panic is the starter, John Birdie comes off the bench. When Birdie is the starter, it it brings Joe Panic off the bench, and so those things definitely help themselves. They equal out. You now have Cooper back too, uh, and and that's more or less it. Some money did go to Toronto in the deal. Uh, There's a little bit of a discrepancy as far as what I reported and what actually looks like is. So I think I could be wrong on that, where more money is going to Toronto in that deal than I in, in, originally thought. A trade for now, yes. A trade to help the club in the next few weeks to see where they're at, yes. But I don't see this as a mover or a shaker one way or the other. It just kind of felt like a blod deal. But we'll we'll see how, in the end, this, this kid McIlvain, who they got,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if that ends up working out the prospect that they got in return. Beyond that, that's it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this feels like a, a trade from two teams sort of trading from points of strength, right? Joe Panic was sort of underutilized in Toronto, not necessarily producing the way that they needed him to, and to sort of shake things up for him and Dickerson, they both have roles with these clubs over the next. Well, Dickerson, the rest of the season for Toronto, who's trying to make a playoff run, and and at least the next month here for Joe Panic. The thing that I also, you know, sort of initially thought when I see a guy like Joe Panic, who who is a Capable major league infielder is it does finally give the Marlins a little bit of depth in the infield. Like you said, right. every day to, to spell some guys, but also should the Marlins decide that John Birdie or Miguel Rojas in particular are guys they want to trade at the deadline, now you're not starting a Jose Devers every single day or an Isan Diaz every single day. Should one of those guys be out the door? You could play Jazz at short. You could play Panic at third. There's some options. Well, I, you, right, and,
1: and Jeremy, the other thing too, that, you know, in, in having some discussions, there, there's no doubt that Joe Panic could get traded on July yeah. 30th. Yeah, so, so look, all, all those things are, are up mm-hmm. for discussion. To me, the bigger picture is, you know, and, and you sort of want to like, you know, go through it all and then say, well, what else could possibly be in play here? And clearly what could be in play is the health of Brian Anderson has to be even unclear at this point too, because you don't make this kind of trade with Brian Anderson coming back in a week or two. Mm -hmm. And I know he's due back at the end of the month, but this sort of protects them against an injury that could even be longer than that. Remember, he's still going through rehab. He's still going through the process. He thought he would be back next week. They put him on the 60 day, and, and now he's got to wait till the end of the month. So a little bit of protection there too, but you're right, Jeremy, there's, there's just a lot of things yeah, in play there. Parts. They were tired of being down a run in the eighth inning and having nobody
0: to hmm. pinch hit. I, I think that's really the bottom line with this. Yeah. Trip. Well, and, and an interesting dart throw in Andrew McInvale is a reliever as well on the minors. I'm intrigued to see how that works out, but a, a, another space to go from this is obviously it means Jesus Sanchez is your everyday left fielder, but the Marlins outfield looks different, and the guy that we're all obviously focused on through the rest of this month is Starling Marte. As the Marlins approach the day, trade deadline, do you think that this trade sort of uh, predicts or sort of um, you know gives you insight into what the Marlins are thinking down the line, or is that sort of a a sort of different conversation altogether with Starling Marte?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think one thing has to do with the other as of yet. And and Kiming did meet with us the other day to discuss the trade. And of course, I'm gonna ask a lot more things than that. I'm not just gonna ask, <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I with all due respect, I don't care about the trade. I wanna right. know what's going on with Marte and Miggy Rowe and uh, and Aguilar and Cooper and some of these other names, Duval that, that could potentially be traded. So uh, so here's my understanding. So on this, on this Zoom call that we had, I did ask Kim about Marte and she said that they had had preliminary discussions And then when I followed up and I said, where do you think that those are at? And she said she really couldn't comment because they were very preliminary. So after that, of course, I do my due diligence at that point. And I want to see where they are and and if what she said matches up with, you know, sort of my research and they do, it it does. So this is very, this has been like, I I would say, honestly, this week, maybe, or late last week was the first time that they've even brought this up. Hmm. So... So here is kind of was my thinking, and then I'll walk you through sort of the process here. Uh, why would they take so long to start conversations with Starling Marte? A couple podcasts ago, I mentioned that when players are signed to long-term deals, these things can take months, if not even the course of a year to get done. So why now? Why didn't they do it before he was injured? Why didn't they do it before the season started? And I think that, with with the marlins organization i think that what has happened is and i'm guessing here is that they went into the season saying okay we have Marte. we think we're going to be competitive Hmm. and at this point we have all of these other players that we're going to see in the minor leagues for the first time and even some in the major leagues jeremy so who are these players that could potentially replace darling Marte? let's see them okay lewis brinson let's take a look at him again Monte Harrison we saw a little bit of him last year maybe there's a progression this year okay well there's another option we also have J.J. Bladé, who eh, it's not really a center fielder but we you know Marlins did draft him too let's take a look at his first few months in the minor leagues We also have Peyton Burdick Mm -hmm. in the minor leagues and then um, you know you go through April and May and you're still thinking about potentially signing Marte to a long-term deal and then boom he gets hurt okay so Kim In comes out and says well he's hurt right now uh, you know, we're not going to sign him to an extension uh, while he's hurt. She didn't say that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing sure. that. And then as Marte is hurt, Louis Brinson is not performing and Monte Harrison is injured again. And JJ Blade is not performing and Peyton Burdick's doing okay. And then the realization hits. Wow. Maybe we do need to <laughs> sign Marte to some sort of extension because yikes, we don't have anyone to replace him next season, unless we're, training him and maybe moving Adam Duvall to center fielder who knows what could happen in the winter. They could do a lot of other things. So I think that is more of, of their process where they wanted to wait and see what they have. And now I think the process has come to the realization is, wow, we really do not have someone to replace this player or even come close. We're going to be out there in the winter, signing a center fielder or or putting Duvall in center and signing someone. I think that's why we're here now. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why it took a while to get to this point. Is it too little too late? It may be. Uh, my estimation goes back to what I commented in in the column in the Herald is I do not think that the Marlins are going to go four years with Starling Marte at all. I don't think that is an option, but I do think somewhere along the two year to three year, maybe two with an option for a third. I think that is what will be presented to him. I do think he will decline that. And I think that that will be the end of the discussion. And then he'll be going to free agency and potentially traded somewhere else in July. Uh, that's what I think right now that could change. I've said that this is constantly evolving. And as I find out what those numbers are that they have presented him, it will be a lot easier, but Jeremy, just to end the conversation at this point, I don't even think they've put numbers in front of him, Mm. at least as of the end of June. So we'll see where that kind of goes in time. My guess is by the time the next podcast comes or the one after that, they will have put a contract in front of him or at least some, some framework in front of him for him to decide. And then we can dive into whether or not they genuinely really wanted to keep him. Because obviously, offering Starling Marte two years and $20 million, something like that, I don't think that's going to get it done. So we'll see where the numbers are at, Jeremy, and then we'll check back in a week or two. But that kind of walks you through the process as to why I believe they
0: waited until the end of June to really get serious about signing him. And we'll finish out this podcast with a little more discussion about the trade deadline, but that is the the big conversation is, is what do the Marlins have in Starling Marte? And I think that's an interesting point you make in terms of Sort of evaluating throughout the season, seeing what could be there to replace Marte in 22 and then realizing, no, that guy might just be our best option. And so when we do talk about the Marlins on the field right now, over the last week, they split a couple of series with division opponents, right? They split with the Washington Nationals over four games. They split two games with the Philadelphia Phillies, but it's the Marlins sort of volatility offensively that continues to get to me. I, I think the stat is they're five, I believe they're five and ten over their last fifteen. They've scored one or less runs five or six times. They've scored 10 or more runs four times. Craig, what what do you make of this Marlins offense, this Marlins team as they continue to sort of just trend downward, even with these really great offensive performances occasionally?
1: Yeah, they have just have not gotten the entire team hot at once for any length of period of time this season, maybe for a game or two, but it it has not been a week. And, and, and Don Mattingly addressed this saying that you're never going to have your entire team hot over the course of the season, but you can, I mean, I I take exception to not having a team hot for a week. I've seen that in baseball before, but they have not even had that. And so it seems like, I mean, at its most granular point, when Duvall homers, they win almost every time. And when he doesn't, they lose. It just kind of feels like that. Uh, I I don't know if, I mean, the numbers sort of back up a a higher winning percentage when he homers, but I'm sure that you could find other players uh, like that as well. So uh, Mattingly has used the word consistent. I would say that that has not happened at all over the course of the season. I don't see that changing either. I I don't think all of a sudden they're just going to all start consistently Mm -hmm. hitting at different points, it's been different guys. They need two or three of those guys to get hot at once, not just Jazz, not just Duvall, not just Aguilar, not just Miguel Rojas. It has just not happened over the course of the year. So maybe that is something all of a sudden that catches fire against the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it does. But I, I think realistically speaking, you kind of know what the offense is at this point, And barring some drastic change, I think we'll head toward July and, and they'll probably end up being as what people call sellers at the deadline.
0: Yeah. I mean, this team is here in July. they are 11 games under 500 to sort of back up your point about Duval. He's hit 15 of his 18 homers in the span of 12 games in six sets of back-to-back games. The Marlins are nine and three in those games. So they're six games over in those 12 games. They're 17 under everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's remarkable the way that, and this just shows Major League Baseball in general, right? Teams are led by power. And the one guy who hits home runs for the Marlins is Adam Duvall. I mean, let's be realistic. That's how you win baseball games at this point in, in a large stretch. The Marlins have found other ways to win throughout the season, but clearly not enough. You mentioned the Dodgers. The Marlins have 10 games left before the all-star break. It's three in Atlanta starting tonight. It's four at home against the Dodgers. It's three more in Atlanta. We will see or should see (laughs) Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers twice each before the break. So six of those starts come from your big three. What's a realistic thought as we, as we head into this final home stretch here for the Marlins? As we look toward the All-Star break, is it possible that the Marlins can start winning here and trending in the right direction in July? Or, or, or is it a more uh, reserved feeling necessary? Yeah, I mean, in, in a
1: normal scenario, if, if, you would have, if you would have not looked at the Marlins record on July 1st and said that between LA and these Brave series, they were 500, you would take it. Right. And unfortunately they've dug themselves such a big hole that 500 essentially really doesn't cut it. Uh, They've played well against the Braves and they have played well against the Phillies, not as much against Washington. And they're going to get a chance to see Washington right after the break, San Diego as well. They look, they, they their easy part of the schedule is over Mm -hmm. and, and now, and now they're going to be facing off with the division and facing off with some of the tougher teams in the league. And that's fine. I mean, that's just what they kind of have to go through. But as we get to the halfway point in terms of games, they've they've dug themselves a really big hole. I mean, eleven under, ten under, eight under. I mean, those are really big numbers to to get to the thirtieth and go to the ownership and go to the CEO and say, hey, let's let's keep fighting. It just doesn't add up. So, uh, is a historical run out of the question? No, it's baseball. Anything can happen. And if they go seventeen and six you know, before the All-Star break, they'd be back at 500, probably a couple games out, and then they can have a different conversation, but they, but they all, they have to be realistic at this point. And I suppose we'll just assess it, but we've been hearing for a month. They need to go on a run. They need to go mm-hmm. on a run. They need to go on a run. It just hasn't happened. And, and maybe they will. I, I don't know. It is baseball. Strange things happen. And and we'll just have to assess it when we get to the the All-Star break coming up soon.
0: Right, they had that one seven-game losing streak when they went on the road, and other that, other than that, essentially this team has been about a 500 team. They're eight games under or eight games back, eleven games under 500. The eight games back is what what leaves you with this sort of almost false hope of a division that keeps you so close. But yes, like you mentioned, only 23 games left until July 30th. I think that's something people don't often take perspective of is that all-star break, you know, cuts out a chunk of, of the actual le- uh, action left before that all-star break or before the trade deadline. Right. Um, when we do look at the all-star break, obviously there's pretty much just one candidate for the Miami Marlins to be their all-star it'll be announced on July 4th but Greg if you want to take a second here just to talk about the first half of the season of Trevor Rogers and and why he'll likely be the all-star for Miami
1: yeah he's he's been the biggest surprise pitcher in baseball uh, if not uh, with League for sure but if not baseball he's uh, got an outside shot at the Cy Young probably not realistic but he's got a shot at that he's the front runner to win the rookie of the year since they banned the sticky stuff, I don't think that it doesn't look like he's been affected whatsoever. People have pointed out his velocity has been down a little bit, but I haven't noticed any less effectiveness with him. And and he's got, I, I think, at least one start left, maybe two before they get to the break. And and then he'll be uh, in the all-star game. And he has a chance to pitch at Coors Field in the all-star game too. There's no doubt. I, I don't think any other Marlins will make the all-star team. And I'm not going to try and sit here and pretend to make a case for them. Mm-hmm. But Rogers will be there. Uh, based on what Mel Stottlemyre said the interesting part is going to be coming out of the all-star break what they decide to do because Mel had mentioned him being the fifth starter coming out of the break Mm -hmm. because he's pitched so much and probably now because he's going to pitch in the all-star game as well I don't know Jeremy if those plans change now they're going to have to play a doubleheader against Philadelphia right out of the break two games Mm -hmm. so they're you know they're they're obviously going to have to hope that they get uh, good performances from some of the other pitchers to to stay in this thing. Zach Thompson's been ridiculous. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe that is the, the answer to their four or their five going forward. I, I don't know, but Rogers, I don't think is going to pitch right out of the break and he's coming dangerously close pace wise to throw over 200 innings. So I, I don't know how they're going to manage this down the stretch. We may have just not see him in September. I, I don't know. Maybe Edward Cabrera takes right. a spot or, or, or someone like that. And then beyond that, No, no other all-stars on the Marlins. Sandy's had some great stretches for sure. And and Pablo's been very good. Uh, You know, Duvall has been very powerful, but he's not an all-star. Jazz at one point looked like maybe Mm -hmm. he should, and he's fallen back a little bit as well. Adjustments are clearly being made with him. He's going to have to now adjust, as he's done in the past. Aguilar... I don't know what happened in June, but everything has popped up. He looks tired to me. His swing is not the same. Once every four at-bats, he's hitting it hard. The rest are all pop-ups. I don't think they anticipated playing him this much, uh, Jeremy, at first base. I think that's potentially what could have happened. And then I did ask, by the way, about uh, Duvall being in the home run derby because I thought that maybe there was an outside chance of that, but his name uh, has not been on uh, MLB's Hmm. radar as of right now. So that is what I can tell you. He's not – as far as what I know – There are enough batters that want to do it that are right now ahead of him in the pecking order for the Home Run Derby. I think that he'd be a good candidate to participate. He was in it a couple of years ago. But
0: he is. I, I don't think he's going to end up in the home run derby this year. Although he would be a good candidate, I think for it. Certainly, he has that type of uh, light tower power that we like to see in those types of events. He is technically tied for 14th, which is really sort of seventh in home runs right now. There's a number of guys ahead of him, all tied, you know, right above it. But to me, yeah, he he's one of those guys that deserves a shot. Also with All Star Weekend. Uh, Marlins minor league pitcher, Max Meyer will also be in Colorado for the events for the futures game. Um, So Trevor Rogers and Max Meyer out there representing the Miami Marlins in Colorado. Um, And just to continue to harp on what a great season Trevor Rogers has had so far, he's got the best, uh ERA for any left-handed starter in Major League Baseball. He's, He's been second great. in strikeouts behind Clayton Kershaw and uh Robbie Ray, who's struck out the, the Marlins a number of times himself. They've seen him a couple times. You
1: know, he 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 and and um and Sandy and Pablo have be have been have carried the team all season long. You know, it's funny this is not a negative, but it's funny how we just make these assumptions that this is who they're going to be for the rest exactly. of their lives. You know, it's like it's a slippery slope thinking that, oh, like all they have to do is fill in the four or five next year and everything will be fine. Well, like we, they, how, how much better can these guys pitch in 2022 or even in the second half of 2021? At some point, they got to get some offensive help
0: and some other pitching help. Like it's, in this, this is division, not sustainable how fragile that is. The it New is. York Mets in 2016 had the young superstar rotation that all peaked at the right time and they got to a World Series and then it completely fell apart. So we-, we Taking this for granted is not something anyone should be doing, regardless of how many great young arms are behind these guys. Knowing that Sandy and Trevor and Pablo have thrown this much with, knock on wood, no injuries so far this season is something that does not happen often. And so finally, just to wrap this up real quick, um, we are in July. So trade deadlines at the end of the month. Just a quick synopsis of what folks should be looking for as we go through the rest of this month, headed toward that trade deadline for Miami.
1: Yeah, I, I, be, I be, so you know, I broke the Dickerson trade, so yep. so you, everyone kind of knows that I'm on top of this. So if there was anything for me to report, I would do it. The people that I have asked that I trust that would help me in in these sort of situations and kind of get a gauge for what's going on have essentially told me. Uh, You know, not to back off, but just like, hey, like, like this thing is going right to the 30th, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'm digging in, of course, and I'm asking all the right questions both inside the the organization and out. And that's very helpful, by the way, the out part of it as well with just contacts that I have for what the Marlins are thinking on the outside, too. That's a big part of the conversation, too. I I don't see anything happening right up until the 30th, maybe a couple days before. The, this I, I would not put the dickerson trade as like a sell off in my mind i think it was like mm-hmm. a little bit of a of a swap maybe a sell off for him in particular cuz they have somebody else they want to play but i i don't think that anything happens right up until the 30th the the, the focus organizationally right now and it's going to shift very quickly but the organization right now is wholly focused on the draft mm-hmm. that that is a a huge huge deal for them coming up here in a little bit over a week yeah. And so uh, I, I'm starting to get a sense how that is, is, is developing and starting to look. And, and next week, we'll dive a little bit more into that. But um, I'm starting to get more of a feel as they narrow down players and me, again, speaking to other people outside the organization, having questions asked to me, asking questions back, this player, that player, where they could end up. Miami does have two picks in the first in the first round, one early, early-ish and then another comp pick. And and those are going to be crucial. The only thing that I would uh, say on that front right now, in my opinion, not knowing the full scope of where they're headed, is I don't think that you're going to see a pitching heavy draft coming from the Marlins. I don't think that that is by design. I just think it's kind of the landscape of what this draft looks like. It wouldn't surprise me to see them take a pitcher in the third or fourth or fifth round but I, I think that the strength of this draft looks like it is position players, unlike 2020 when it was pitching and Miami took a lot of all pitchers.
0: Yeah, it was six so, and five.
1: So I, I would look for that two position. Pl- I would look for Miami to take two position players in the first round and then the comp pick. And then next week on the show, I'll give you more of a idea as to the direction that we could be headed there.
0: Well, I'll certainly look forward to that. Uh, I know our, our audience will as well. Uh, Marlins fans, as we head toward the draft, as we head toward the All Star game, as we head toward the MLB trade deadline, go ahead and give us a follow at Swings and Mishes on Twitter. And make sure you follow this podcast on whatever platform you are listening. Give us a five star review. Go ahead and uh, give us that five-star rating as well. Um, We look forward to being back with you next week to discuss that MLB draft, to continue to harp on the MLB trade deadline, and whatever the Marlins have done against the Atlanta Braves and those Los Angeles Dodgers. Enjoy your July 4th weekend. Have a great one, and we'll be back next week on Swings and Missions.